How's it going, guys? Tyler Solberg with the Solberg Performance Train Podcast, and today we have episode number 12. If you are a person that is very tech-savvy, you should send me a DM because I would love to put my face on this podcast. I can't, for the life of me, figure out how to do it. Um, I spent the last 20 minutes trying to um, do the screen capture feature, and it just kind of keeps taking pictures of me, so that was fun. And then... uh, you know, and then I was I was trying to figure out how to like sync the audio with it and everything too. Uh, it was just not working. But hey, if you are someone that knows about that stuff and would like to see my face in these podcasts, I would like to show you my face in these podcasts. So um, send me a DM and tell me what to do. Okay. So just like any other podcast that I've done in the past, I'm just going to go through a series of questions I got either through the podcast email, from social media, from clients. Um, and friends that had sent me, you know, good questions that um, I felt like were going to be relevant to my audience. And so I'll just go through one at a time. And hopefully, you know, obviously the answers to some of these questions will be helpful to you in your health and fitness journey. Okay, let's go to the first one. The first question is, how do you differentiate your services from a commercial gym? How do you make yourself stand out? And I think that's a really great question. Um, I actually just went through the process of making you know, professional materials for my in-person services. So, you know, I, I wanted to think about, you know, I think everybody always talks about training results and I offer this type of program and equipment and blah, blah, blah. And I think all those things are great, but I think, you know, the biggest thing that I feel like makes my services different for in-person, and I'll go through the online one too, is I like to talk about the privacy piece. I think that's a really important thing that not a lot of people think about when they're training at a gym. I think a lot of the times when people are in the most vulnerable position they've ever been in when they have to hire a trainer, um, it's kind of uncomfortable to sign up with a trainer and just be out on the fitness floor and kind of feel like everybody's watching you getting trained by someone. Um, I'm not saying that everybody feels that way, but I think, you know, when I was looking at what differentiated myself from a gym is, you know, when you come in and you sign up for personal training with me, it's a very nice, inviting environment, right? Like, it's just me and you, or maybe someone that you signed up with, um, you know, instead of training in, um, you know, the confines of a commercial gym, right. And sharing equipment with people and it's kind of dark and you don't get to pick the music and you know, you don't, it doesn't feel like a very relaxed atmosphere to some people. Um, you know, mine's a backyard and there's a pool and there's nice green grass and you got the breeze going and you know, all the equipment you need there. But I would say, you know, if you're someone that, is training people on your own, um, training people out of maybe your house or your apartment or, you know, a park or a space like that in your, you're working for yourself. I would say one of the things you can use to differentiate yourself from the other, um, trainers and from gyms is really just to say, Hey, like I know that I can offer you good equipment. I know that I can get you results. I'm not saying that gyms can't, but I know this may be a very vulnerable time for you um, and you may feel uncomfortable getting trained in front of, you know, a million other people on the fitness floor, but maybe you would be comfortable if it was just you and I in my backyard sipping a coffee and, you know, and going through some exercises. So I like that piece. Um, Another one that I looked at too was just kind of looking at more personalized attention. Um, I think that they can offer personalized attention at a gym. But I think, I think there's like so much going on in the gym that it makes it hard for you to do that. Like for instance, sharing equipment is one of those things. Um, gyms can make you a ton of promises on the end of like having great equipment, um, having all the amenities that you need, having things like, you know, a spa and uh, a sauna and a jacuzzi and things like that. And that's great. I think those are things that make having a gym membership awesome. But I think at the same time is you can't really promise all of the people that you work with that they're going to necessarily always have access to those things, um, depending on how busy it is. So I think, you know, another benefit in working with me, um, in person is really just, you know, you're not going to be fighting for equipment. Right. And I think anybody that's, you know, any of the people that are listening, that are coaches know that you can drop this really nice plan for people, but you know, if you're training people out of a 24-7 gym or another commercial gym that isn't just training, right, 
you know, you'll run into times where you go, I got barbell bench for this client or, you know, I got back squat for this client and you walk over to the racks and there's not a barbell, you know, <laughs> available for the next 40 minutes, right? Um, so that's another thing too. I think, I think if you're looking at diff different ways to like differentiate yourself from the competition, that's a really good way to do it is looking at the privacy piece. Hey, you're not going to be training in front of a million people and you know, if you do feel uncomfortable, that's going to be exacerbated by being in front of people. And then also, like I said, too, is, you know, really being able to keep your promises on the end of indiv on individualizing the program, right? Because, you know, you might have to move things around when you're at another gym. When I plan something for someone in my gym, right, in my backyard gym, you know, you're doing it, right? Because we're not fighting for equipment. It's me and you, right? Or the person that you're training with. So, yeah, so that would be the thing. I would say for online, the biggest thing that differentiates me from the competition is I really like the app I have. I really like the features that I have. You know, obviously you can download other apps and you get, you know, here's your exercises, here's your sets and reps and blah, blah. You know, here's your meal plan. But I think the thing that I tap into with my online business is it's very individualized, right? So you come in, um, You'll fill out a consultation. We'll schedule a consultation call. We'll talk about your consultation. And I'll make you a program that is based on the equipment that you have, based on your goals, needs, and personal preferences, based on the time availability you have. And then you're going to be able to check in with me once a week. And, and it's optional. You know, some weeks you may jump in. Some weeks you might find that you're busy and you can't make the 15-minute call. That's totally fine too. But I think what makes me different online is that just this ongoing accountability guidance and support that really can't be offered in other apps for the price point that I have. I really think that's, that's a thing that really separates me um, on that end is, yeah, you get the exercises. Yeah, you get you know, your, your, your personalized nutrition report, um, but you're also getting ongoing coaching. You're also getting ongoing adjustments if they need to be made to the program. You know, and I think it is too. It's like, I think client results come from the workouts and they come from the meal plan and things or the nutrition report and things like that. But they also come from a series of personal conversations, just talking about personal philosophy and, you know, the way we do things right as a group, as a collective, um, as clients that I work with. Um, I think that's something that's really understated in some of these other, you know, maybe free apps or cheaper apps than mine is, you know, you're not, anyone can make a good exercise program, but not everybody can make it adjust and tailor fit um, for the person they're working with and also adjust, you know, as a, as a person's program unfolds, right? Like as some people's goals may change as they train, some people may find that, you know, one particular exercise isn't as conducive with their body as others. Some people may find certain exercises harder than others. And when you're not working with a coach that understands progressions and, you know, how to adjust a program to your goals, needs, and personal preferences, I think that's going to be the big thing that really separates my app from, you know, maybe someone else that, you know, probably does have great programs, but they're just not going to be able to meet with you on a weekly basis and they're not going to be able to adjust it to you, right? Okay. Let's go to the next question. What is your sales process? Yeah, so I was talking about how I just made the pamphlets. Um, I think for me, the sales process, and especially like the thing that I'm going to be doing is going business to business. My online groups have pretty much filled up, right? Like I'll, I'll take clients here and there, but now I'm just kind of, you know, fill out my remaining slots that I have for in-person. So my sales process for talking to area businesses would be, I put together the pamphlet, right? So that has a list of, you know, my services, you know, who is this for? What does it include? And then what are the benefits, right? I think like, it's really important that if you're a trainer or you're anyone that's, you know, marketing your business that you can provide those things for the people that you may potentially be working with um, in kind of an easy to read, quick bullet pointy type of format. And so I think pamphlets really big for that. Um, and then also, you know, I think that personal testimonials from clients that you work with are very valuable. Um, if you follow me on social media, you can see that I'm constantly posting 
client testimonials because number one, I'm just not a person that really likes to to toot my own horn on you. Like, look what I did to this person. I really feel like that's that's not who I am, and it'd be disingenuous to act like you know I did that, and not the person's effort did that, right? But I do like to I do like to involve client testimonials in the sales process. So you know, my thing might be walking into a business and going, hey. You know, I notice you guys do this. I offer these services and I thought they could be a benefit, you know, maybe to you or your employees. Here's a list of our services and, you know, who it's for, what it includes and um, the benefits. And I know, you know, in most businesses that you walk into too, it's like, hey, they're operating. So, you know, I don't want to take much of your time today because I don't want to get in the way of what you guys are doing in the business that you guys run. But, you know, here's a list of my services you know, I'm going to, you know, and, and if they're interested too, you know, maybe you share with them too. Here's, here's also, um, if they, if they do have time, I guess you, if they don't have time, you give them a pamphlet. And I think if they do have the time, um, and they're, they're asking more about it, it's nice to have a client testimonial book with you and be like, Hey, here's an example of someone like this, someone like you or someone that you work with. Um, this is the, this is what they felt like coming into the program. This is the results they experienced. This is the program they were on. Maybe you should look into it, whether you're looking in, into it from a remote standpoint or you're looking into it um, to come and train in person. Um, but I think that's really important to, to be able to share client testimonial. I think another thing too is, you know, if you're, if you're selling too, you want to be able to think about your pricing, having that with too. I think especially for trainers, it feels like a really taboo thing to talk about money and pricing with people. And I really don't think you should be afraid of that. Um, because I look at it this way, you know, being able to change someone's body and their mind, and um, that's a very valuable thing to people. And you shouldn't be afraid to tell people, hey, this is what my price is, right? Because that's really invaluable to a lot of people. Um, so I, I think you should have your pricing sheet with you to be able to go, hey, you know, here's my prices for sessions. If you're someone that's training, you know, clients online, here's my monthly rate for these programs and then be able to share that with them. So I think that's on my end between that and maybe the personal conversation you have. That's kind of my sales process is just walking in, introducing myself, handing them a pamphlet, making sure I respect their time Um if they are open to having a conversation, maybe sharing some client testimonials with them. Um, and then if they're, like I said, if they're, they're really interested right on the spot, then you can talk about pricing. But I don't think it needs to be much more elaborate than that. Um, the only other thing that you could have too is maybe descriptions of the specific plans that you have. I, I definitely carry those around too. Um, but you don't need to make it complicated. You know, most of the time people will sign up if you have, um, you know, if what you, what you offer is a value to them. So as long as you can show them the value of the services you provide, um, people are going to be all ears and, and, and want to get involved with what you're doing. Okay. So, yeah, so this is from one of my clients. When we talked on the phone the other day, you talked a little bit about using frame or reference to determine whether or not something is expensive or not. Would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually got this, um, I actually had this conversation after listening to a reel that Brett Bartholomew posted the other day, because he brought up a really valid point, I thought, which was, you know, ex something being expensive is a, is, a, is a very contextual and a relative term, right? Um, you know, some of the times we're like, well, that's expensive. We're like, well, compared to what? So when we're talking about using a frame of reference to describe whether or not something's expensive. I like to use that when I'm talking about training with people. So we we're just talking about the training process. And it's funny, you know, like, obviously, if you're someone that trained with me initially, you get, you know, the, um, the price that you signed up with, but I just increased prices um, for new clients onboarding, you know, because I made it, I made it really, really inexpensive to start to get people in the door. Um, but I just increased my prices. But this this is the thing, right? If we look at just like what it would cost to meet with me four times for 15 minutes in a month, it's 50 bucks, right? 50 bucks a month will get you four, you know, four phone calls with me, 15 minutes a piece. 
and then obviously your programming, your personalized nutrition report. Okay, easy. But sometimes when you talk to someone, you're like, well, 50 bucks, depending on someone's budget, they're like, wow, or, or depending on their values, right, too, depending on what they value. You know, that's pretty expensive. Well, compared to what? You know, I, I look at it this way. You know, I have clients that I train that, you know, um, they'll, they'll spend money on supplements, right? And I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with supplements, but if you look at, you know, a tub of protein, right? Well, you know, the tub of protein is not even valuable to you until after you train, not saying that, you know, you don't benefit from having protein in your diet, right? But you need the stimulus from exercise to, you know, really reap the benefits of that protein powder that you're buying in the first place, other than for basic health benefits, obviously, right? Um, but so I always go, you know, it is having nutrition coaching, right, which is, found, you know, nutrition being foundational and movement coaching, which is foundational in anything, whether your, your goal is fat loss or performance or longevity or health or anything like that, is, is 50 bucks, you know, expensive when you compare it to a type of protein that really doesn't get you the results you're talking about, right? So that is kind of what I was talking about on the end of having a frame of reference is, is this expensive? Well, you know, another way to look at it too is, you know, if you train with me in person, right, you're paying over $50 an hour. Okay, so is it really expensive to sign up for 50 bucks a month when, you know, if you worked with me in person, you pay X for one session, right? You're going to get more value, obviously, with working with a trainer in person, right? The hands-on adjustments in real time, right? You know, and think about it this too. I was saying that the most valuable thing, one of the most valuable things in coaching is that series of personal conversations around exercise, around movement, um, around nutrition, mindset, and recovery. Well, obviously, right, you're going to pay 50 bucks for an hour because you're getting 45 minutes to 60 minutes of those personal conversations. So, yeah, you will, you know, you'll get more out of that. But, again, when you reference it back to the online training rate, what is expensive? Well, it depends on how you look at it, okay, and it depends on the frame of reference. So, Thanks for that question. Yeah, I, that's a uh, that's something that I really encourage people to do when they're thinking about spending money is have a frame of reference, right? Because something might seem expensive on the surface, but it depends on what you get and depends on the value um, that that product has, and depends on how it affects your life and what you get from it. Really determines on how valuable it is, right? Okay. What's your take on social media detoxes? I really like this. I actually, I don't know if I've really taken a detox lately. I've definitely done periods where I've taken, you know, time away from social media. I think we all need to do that, right? Because we're all looking at people's lives and it's their, it's their human highlight reel, right? And I know from doing this podcast, right? Like this was, this podcast right here was like the sixth one that I made, right? And I didn't go too far in, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do an hour podcast and be like, yeah, I'm gonna throw it out. No, I wouldn't do that. But um, I think we're all looking at everybody's highlight reels, and I think it's it's good sometimes to step away and kind of watch our own bobber, I guess, so to speak, and um, you know, really look at the things that are in front of us and the people that we have in our lives, and stop comparing ourselves to everything that everybody else has because what you have is enough. And the thing is, is like you wouldn't know it wasn't enough unless you saw other people's stuff and you saw their highlight reels in the first place. Um, I'll speak to the social media de detoxing in kind of a different light, but it's very similar. I think more important than even just like taking a break from social media entirely is really managing, um, the messages that you're taking in on a daily basis, right? So like the people you surround yourself with and the messaging and the type of content you're consuming. So I would say that like before you even like go to the extreme of thinking like, you know, all social, social media is bad and. I need to completely remove it from my life. I would say, you know, maybe start by, you know, unfollowing people that are kind of toxic people in your life or, you know, aren't really living in line with the values that you want for yourself. You know, I just did that recently where I just unfollowed like 500 people or something like that because I was like, I don't know this person. I don't really talk to this person anymore. I don't really like what this person is about. And it's, and this is a thing. It's not, you know, I wouldn't like message them personally and, and I don't have a problem with them personally and be like, I'm, you know, just so you know, I'm unfollowing you or what. 
I have no, you know, people, people are more than, you know, able to live their life the way they want and post what they want to post. But, you know, I'm also able to regulate that. Right. So if it's stuff that I don't want to see and stuff I'm not about, well, I'll just unfollow them. I think the same thing with like fitness accounts too. You know, I hear people talk about all the time, like, man, these certain companies have such unrealistic expectations for this person and that person. And I agree, but I would tell you this, that don't follow those pages. Yes, there's going to be some paid ads that show up in your feed, right? You're never going to be able to get away from that. That's the world, right? And we're all just going to have to accept that. But, you know, following good quality, reasonable fitness and nutrition and mindset and recovery people, right? And figures on social media and, and pages. I think that's something that you should really aim for. You know, if you're constantly getting pumped with negative messaging and things like that, and you're following accounts that are like that, like you're going to be a negative person. And it's always going to seem like the world's ending and everything sucks. And, you know, it's going to be hard to get out of that rut. You know, I know that Trevor talked about in one of his first books, he was talking about that he went through, and I love country music, so don't get me wrong, but he talked about that he like, he wanted to see what would happen if he just like, all he did was listen to the news and, you know, right, world ending and listen to country music breakup songs for a week and just, and that's all he did. And he said by, you know, the end of the first week, like he was going nuts. So it just really shows you it's like, the, the type of media and the people you surround yourself with and the messaging you surround yourself with like really, really has a large influence on how you view the world and how your approach to life is molded. So yeah, I would say instead of taking necessarily like a hiatus from social media, maybe just look at the people you're following. Just make sure that, you know, they have the messaging that you're about and they're living in alignment with the things that you want to do. Or maybe it's something you would like to do, right? Um, you can't complain about unrealistic expectations when you're choosing to follow these people and you can't complain about people being negative when you have a choice in it, right? So don't, don't follow those people and, and, and get, and cut those pages off and follow them, whatever you got to do, block them, but just get it, just get it out of there. Because, you know, one thing I noticed after doing that, I was like, wow, like these, these people just don't exist anymore. Like they do, but like they just, if they're not in your, in your, in your sites, like you have no idea, like they don't affect your life in any way unless you see their social media. And I think that's a really powerful thing. All right. Don't unfollow me though. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so let's look at the next one. The best way. Okay. Yeah. So this one's from my friend Jordan. So she sent me this this morning. What's the best way to tell if my workout routine is working? Um, is working if I don't want to use a scale and I'm not motivated by PRs. You know, how can I tell if I'm building lean muscle or gaining fat? I feel like I don't fit in with these fitness people because I don't, I could care less if I can press, um, how much I can press. And I don't really like tracking calories. I kind of botched that whole question there, but basically what she's saying is, um, you know, if I don't want to use a scale and I don't really care about my PRs, you know, how do I know that I'm making progress? I think that's, you know, I think that that's a great question. And I think what's funny is, is the fitness, you know, most fitness accounts will make you, will make it sound like the bulk of people want to track calories, bulk of people want to track macros, the bulk of people want to smash these huge PRs in the gym. And, and it's funny because, I mean, that's really not how the average person is. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think, I think all the time we're trying to view fitness through the lens of sport performance and athletics and weightlifting and powerlifting and physique. And we're forgetting this very simple piece of just moving because you like to move and just moving because it's good to move your body and just eating good, wholesome food because it's good to do that. Right. And it nourishes your body. And, and I think that's like the missing piece in fitness. I see it's not like you can't go out and train hard. It's not like you can't watch what you eat, right? Like, and be cognizant of the, the things you're putting in your body. You absolutely can. But I, I think that, you know, this question is what most people run into when they're getting into fitness. And then there's always like a trainer that's like, well, welcome day one. You know, we're going to start tracking macros and calories. And while I agree that those are good teaching tools, I think that's really intimidating for a lot of people. 
And most people aren't going to live or eat that way. Or if, you know, if you're using percentages, they're not going to train that way. So why are we, you know, why are we harping on it when it's not really for the person, right? So I would say that, you know, if you don't want to use a scale and you're not really motivated by hitting PRs is, you know, there's a million ways you can make progress in workouts, right? So you could look at load. So I think that's probably the way that you're looking at PRs, right? Is do I have an increase in load? You can also look at it in the ends of, you know, increasing the repetitions on a particular lift or movement, right? Then you can look at progression, right? You know, can I manipulate the movement, the levers involved in the movement, um, my base of support, things like that, where the, where the load is placed in a way that makes the movement harder just inherently, right? So this could be going from, um, you know, a knee push-up to a regular push-up to feet elevated to eventually, you know, doing a handstand push up on the wall to, you know, walking on your hands and doing whatever, right? Like just basically moving the progression along, right? Body weight squat to backpack squat to goblet squat with a kettlebell to double goblet squat or double kettlebell front squat to back, whatever, right? Basic progressions like that. Um, But I think, you know, if you play with that, just right there, I don't think that you necessarily, and you mess around with um, changing up your exercises and progressions, you don't necessarily need to, to track everything. Again, I know that would be the most uniform way to do it. And I know as a coach, I'm not supposed to tell people that because people absolutely benefit from organized plans, right? You know, that's, that's everything that I do online, right? Is like eliminate the guesswork. But, you know, if that's not for you and, and you notice that taking less targeted approach still gets you the results that you want, I really wouldn't worry about it. Um, so on that end, I, like I said, I would just play around with messing around with the repetitions, play around messing around with, um, you know, increasing the progressions on the lifts, making them harder um, periodically as you, as you want to. And then I would say for, you know, how do you know if you're making dietary progress without tracking calories? You know, I talked about in previous episodes is just using hand portions for everything, right? You know, you don't, I don't, I've been coaching people in nutrition long enough to know that I can look at a picture of someone's plate and tell you if they're in line with their goals versus looking at a macro count or looking at a calorie count for someone. So if you want to, you know, make sure that you're moving in the right direction for your body composition goals, I would just look at your plate and make sure that the dominant thing on it is vegetables and protein and then followed by carbs per activity, right? So if you're someone that's highly active, Try to get more carbohydrates in your diet, minimally processed. If you're someone that moves less, right, you work a desk job and you're not on your feet a ton, you know, maybe you consume less, right? Carbs are not bad. You know, no, in, no individual macro is, is inherently evil, good or bad. It just really comes down to our energy demands and what we need for what we do and our activity levels. So, yeah, I would mess around with that. So if you're looking at um, your plates, you know, making them dominantly vegetables and colorful fruits and proteins if that's a bulk of what you consume and then you have carbs for activity then then i wouldn't worry about it i would say as far as tracking progress one of the easiest things you can do for not stepping on a scale is going to be to take progress photos um, and take just the basic waist and hip measurement Um, when we're looking at body fat percentage it's pretty telling And, and there's people too that that this varies, right? People's anatomical, um, you know, form really dictates how they store muscle and things like that. But for the most part, you can look at someone's waist to hip ratio and tell what their body fat percentage is relatively. And then definitely the photos, if you're getting them in consistent lighting, you can tell, um, you know, if someone's transforming their body fat percentage, it, it's a very visual thing. And I don't need people to step on the scale Um, I actually, that's something that I emphasize with my, a lot of people I work with, right? Not even just the online um, groups that I work with is, you know, if you take the progress photos and, um, and, and you take the basic measurements, right? Like waist and hip, you're going to be able to tell if you're moving in the right direction. But, you know, this is the thing too. It all depends on your goal, right? You know, if your goal is strength, I would tell you that, you know, you're probably going to want to track your PRs, right? in particular lifts, right? Um, 
But if that's not the case, right, and it's your your goals are more built on body composition, um, just in general terms, and just trying to eat healthy for your you know your day to day life. I don't think you really need to get that specific with things. Okay. So how do you focus on the positive? <laughs> Damn. How do you focus on the positive when there's nothing to be positive about? That's pretty dark. Whoever <laughs> sent this, I don't even remember writing this one down. No, I'm not, and I'm not trying to insult the question. So whoever's listening and wrote this, it's a great question. I actually, I really like this because, you know what it makes me think about is, I just referenced Trevor earlier in the episode, but he talks about the principle of being neutral, right? You know, sometimes there's absolutely no reason for you to be positive, right? You know, some bad should happen, and maybe sometimes it's, you know, it is of your own doing, right? You ignored something too long, you put something off too long, and it blew up in your face, or you did something you knew you shouldn't have done, and it blows up in your face, right? There's no reason in that situation to be positive, right? Uh, you have that I fucked up moment, and I think it's okay to feel sorry for yourself for a little bit, but then I think you need to go to what Trevor calls is, is shifting to neutral, right? So they know, and we were just talking about the country music thing earlier. I know that being negative and consuming negative content and being around negative people, that never gets you anywhere, right? That's never going to have a positive effect on your, on your life. But I would say this too is being overly optimistic or positive is also detrimental to, you know, your success as well, right? Because you can be continually making the same mistakes and just not recognizing it, right? And going, oh, next time it'll be different. And it's like, well, yeah, next time will be different if we improve our practices, right? And we, we do things differently, right? It doesn't mean that you're an idiot or you suck or, you know, you're not going to be successful because you fail, but you know, you need to be able to look at what you did and then take the next best step forward. And I think the best way you can do that is, like I said, what Trevor talks about is just shifting to neutral. So instead of me going, you know, I suck or, oh, it'll be okay. It'll be better next time. I just go, all right, what just happened? What's the next best step I can take right now? Right? So instead of sitting there and feeling bad for yourself or being overly optimistic and being like, it's okay. And trying to coddle yourself, just go, Dude, that did not go the way I wanted it to. This, this, and this happened. What can I do right now so that I can start taking steps to make sure that never happens again? You know, I'll look at it this way. You know, I've done that with like podcasting or <laughs> filming myself. Is sometimes I get out of a podcast or I get out of a filming session and I'm like, man, that fucking sucked. I sounded like shit, I looked like shit, the lighting was bad, the content sucked, right? But that doesn't get me anywhere, you know, because the next thing is like, I'm like, okay, well, what didn't I like about it? You know, what can I do differently? And again, I, I think by just being neutral about it, instead of like judging myself for how it went and saying I sucked, it's just like, well, it just happened and you want it to go more like this, so do it more like this. And I don't need to beat myself up to do it. And I also don't need to coddle myself and tell myself it's all good when there's clear improvements that I can make. So I'm a big believer in the neutral thing. You know, just pay attention to what's happening. If you don't like the result of something, go work on it and be nice to yourself. You know, don't be overly optimistic. Don't be overly negative. That doesn't get you anywhere. Be neutral. Neutral is where it's at. Okay. <laughs> I just like the darkness of the question in the beginning. <laughs> There's just nothing to be positive about. How do you move on? No, but okay. So let's go to the next one. So what's one thing you've had to overcome in the past year and how did you work through it? Man, you know what? I was thinking about this. I, I'm never someone that, you know, I want to like air my dirty laundry at the expense of someone else. And I definitely won't say bad things about this person, but I, I moved here um, initially with a girl I was dating and she's a sweetheart. I still, you know, she's a great person. Things just didn't work out, but you know, something happened where 
And I'm not going to speak about her and I'm not going to speak about what happened, anything like that. That's irrelevant to the situation. I'm going to really talk about what happened afterward and kind of how I dealt with, dealt with it. So hopefully that makes sense. Again, it, no, no bad things to say about this person. I hope she's doing well. Um, but yeah, I, I moved here with this girl and, you know, I moved here with her and then my roommate, Dickie, and we, things just ended up not working out. Right. And, and it was kind of out of nowhere. We really didn't see that coming, I guess, in a sense, like, um, you know, I thought this was maybe someone that I was going to be long-term with and whatever that didn't work out. But what I realized was, was after getting out of a relationship with her was that ever since high school and when I was really young, I have just jumped from relationship to relationship my whole life. And, and this is another thing too. I love my parents, um, but we were very different people when, when I was in high school. Um, you know, there was points where, you know, we really got into things and didn't get along. And, you know, I can, I can say now that, you know, we are close and we, we do talk and, and things are good. You know, um, we have a good relationship, but you know, there was a time that for a while that we didn't. And I think a lot of the time when I was growing up, I really depended on the people I was dating for emotional support. Um, and because of that, I never got good at handling things and dealing with life on my own. I always had someone there, um, to help me shoulder that. Um, and so something I'm really proud of, or like something that like I dealt with, that was like a big barrier to overcome in the last year of like moving here is, you know, having to do things for myself and, that I, you know, and be my own emotional support in certain situations, right? And just be okay being by myself. Um, I don't know if any of this is making sense, but I think if you're someone that was habitually like a relationship person and you're finally single and you're always dating people, um, you'll kind of know what I mean. But yeah, that was a big barrier for me. And I think, but I think it's been really valuable to me too. And I'm really, really glad it it happened, you know, thinking about it through the lens of like, why did that happen for me? I think that made me really good at like taking ownership of my own life and making my own decisions and, you know, making sure that I'm there to comfort myself, making sure I'm there to lay out what I need to do and a lot of other things. So that's probably something that really has nothing to do with fitness, but um, that's, that's something that I've really had to work through in this last year, but I'm really um, really happy to say that, like, I feel a lot more comfortable by myself now, which is good. Not that I, you know, want to eventually date someone else, but I think I really needed this time by myself to figure some things out, how I wanted to approach my life and who I was and what I want to do with myself and things like that. So, yeah, so that's something I've worked through. I don't know if anyone else listening can identify with that, but, um, but yeah. Okay. I rambled there for a second, but you know what I'm saying. All right. Let's look at this. Okay. What is your process for building weekly menus? Yeah, I like this one. I'm actually working on this. Um, I just kind of refined my nutrition coaching practice um, and how I want to go about nutrition coaching for people because I'm not a big fan of the meal plan thing. I just never have been. And I think, you know, unless you're not a picky eater, which a lot of people are. I'm not, but you know, I realize that a lot of people are, and I'm not saying anything bad about that at all. You know, you like what you like, and that's fine. Um, but I notice that unless you are able to follow these really cookie cutter style programs, and you're really, really disciplined, and you have kitchen skills, and you have the money to buy the foods that they mention, and you know, there's a, you know, there's a, it's very multifactorial, right, on on whether or not someone can follow a meal plan, right, their kitchen skills and their finances and their food preferences and things like that. So I wanted to refine the way that I nutrition coach people by changing my steps. So in the past, I had just gone, okay, you know, here's a personalized nutrition report. Let's talk about hand portions, you know, based on your goals, needs, and personal preferences. Let's get more of this and that on your plate. I think that's great. But I think we also, as coaches, if you're nutrition coaching with people, you have to look at their food preferences. So if I look at the order in which I coach people, it basically goes like this. Okay, you tell me your goals, needs, and personal preferences. I will give you basic hand portions, 
that in general line up with those goals need some personal preferences, right? This is how much vegetables should be on your plate or fruits should be on your plate at each meal. You know, here's the hand portions of protein, hand portions of, you know, healthy fats and minimally processed carbohydrates. You know, so here's your baseline recommendations, right? Will they change? Yes, right? Like as your goals change and and as we get into the program, we may need to make adjustments and that's totally fine. You may eat more, you may eat less in any of the categories, okay? So I start with that. But then I wanted to go like, okay, you know, instead of me just making kind of general recommendations for like, you know, hard boiled eggs would be good. And they're like, dude, I, I fucking hate eggs. You know, I wanted to offer, um, you know, just some of these basic worksheets that they can fill out in Google forms and go, Hey man, here's a list of vegetables, fruits, lean proteins, healthy fats, and minimally processed carbohydrates. I want you to go through this list and I want you to check all the boxes of things you like. Um, you know, so that when I'm making recipe recommendations for you or we're trying to build a weekly menu for you, I'm not just talking out of my ass. Here's a plan. Oh, you don't like grapes? Oh, you don't like hard-boiled eggs? Oh, you don't. And then, you know, and then whose fault is that? Is it the client's fault, right, when they can't follow the meal plan or is it the coach's? I think it's the coach's, right? I think we need to be more thorough. We need to ask people what they like, right? Can we introduce some other foods down the line as we go? Absolutely. But I think, you know, I think meeting people where they're at, the most important thing is asking them what they want to do right now. And maybe right now they want to eat the healthy foods that they like and they don't want to eat kale and they don't want to try some of these new foods before they even know what they're getting themselves into and what some of these things do. So, yeah, so I, like I said, you know, that'd be step two. So I go, you know, hand portions for goals, needs, and personal preferences. Then I go, hey, fill out this food preferences sheet. You tell me the types of foods you like. Then I like to go into... Um, building a weekly menu. So my thing is, you know, I said this on, on uh, my Instagram account the other day is I look at my nutrition coaching style is it's a, it's a series of mini potlucks with my clients, right? When you train with me in person, I send you home with food and the recipes and, you know, my clients send food, you know, bring food to me. I've Mary and Sepp are awesome that live right down the street from me. Some of my clients that work with me that they bring me their fresh garden tomatoes and, you know, and different types of dishes that they made. And we share food. And I think that's like the best way to do nutrition coaching is, you know, a series of mini potlucks, right? So, you know, we start sharing recipes. Then if someone wants to get a little bit more detailed, we go, okay, let's use that food preferences um, worksheet to build a weekly menu, to build a food roster, right? So here are the foods I like. Here are some example recipes that have those foods in them. Here are some places they fit, right? So if you're like, well, this is a chili I like and this is a beef stew I like. Okay, well, maybe those are some good dinner and um, lunch options, right? So you build a roster and I like to start with, you know, just one to three things at a time. So we could go, hey, let's build a breakfast roster. All right, I can do... You know, I can do a breakfast burrito with a whole, you know, whole or sprouted grain um, wrap with eggs in it and vegetables and top it off with some salsa, right? I got a good, and maybe put some healthy fats in it with avocado. Here's one item that's really easy to prep. You know, I could do, like I had the other day, I posted a frittata. You could do a frittata as being something that you put in your roster for breakfast. And you just basically do that, the same thing for lunch and dinner. And then you do the same thing for snacks. It'd be like, I noticed on your food preferences sheet, you said you like grapes. Why don't you pick up a, you know, a bag of grapes when you're at the grocery store? Or I noticed that, you know, some of the things you like to, I, I noticed you like hummus and you like carrots, you know, let's maybe make that one of your snacks. Let's add that to your snack profile. So you're basically going, what do you need for your goals, needs, and personal preferences? Then you go into personal, you know, personal preferences of food. And then you go into recipes and you start building rosters for each meal of the day and snacks. And then I think that's all you really need to do. The last thing that you can do if you really want to get in depth, some people are really planners, right? They like to write out a list every time they go to the store. So the final piece is you take that roster and you use it to write a weekly shopping list, right? So if you want to be really efficient, you go, these are my snacks. These are my lunch and 
dinner items, these are my breakfast items, whatever. Here are the you know the liquid beverages I'm gonna pick up. And then you make a weekly um, weekly shopping list. And if you're someone that gets pretty good and in, into a routine of you know making that shopping list work for the week, you could even I know some people I've worked with that have laminated it. They've laminated multiple ones, so they'll switch dishes in and out. Um, but yeah, that's the way I like to do nutrition coaching because I feel like that's a lot more valuable and applicable to people and doable to people than just handing them a meal plan and then having no thought put into it. All right. So, all right, we're at 45 minutes. Um, the <laughs> The last one that I'll do today is not even a question. It's just a statement. Tell the tiger story. All right. I'll tell the tiger story. So this one, so I stole a tiger, not a real one. It was a statue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so when we were younger and, and this was, uh, you know, me, my buddy, my buddy Campbell and my buddy Abear, some of these guys coach with me now, you know, way years later as adults. So it's gonna be funny telling this story. And then my buddy Garrett, um, you know, me and me and Garrett used to hang out with some of these girls over by Lake Wazicha and we would always pass and, and this girl lived in a really nice neighborhood. And, um, you know, we would always pass this, this statue as this huge tiger, you know, it's probably six, seven foot tall statue of, of a tiger it was like ceramic or whatever it was, you know, steel inside of it and ceramic around it um, or whatever. I have no idea, but it was heavy. Anyways, but it was this statue of a tiger and we would pass it every day. And, you know, we're, we're young kids. So we're like, one day we're going to have that tiger. We're going to steal that tiger. We're going to steal that tiger and we're going we're gonna to bring it to mom's house. And we're going to put it in your room, which is, which is Garrett's mom's house. We call her mom. And, uh, so this one day we're just sitting around, we just been hanging out and it's like me, my buddy Campbell and a bear, we're just sitting there and we're just like, yeah, we're going to steal this tiger today. So we plan it all out. Me and Garrett like throwing like hoodies and stuff. And we roll up in, I think, I think Campbell had like an escape or something like that. He was driving, but you know, me, me and me and Garrett jump out of the car and we start trying to lug this um, we start trying to lug this tiger set. It's broad daylight, mind you. We start, start trying to lug this uh, tiger out of the the person's lawn. Well, it's really heavy. You know, it's probably about 300 pounds. And so we're taking a few steps with it, and then we have to set it down. Taking a few steps, set it down. And we're like, "Come help us!" So you know, the other guys that are in the car get out and help us try to load it in the back seat of the car. When pushing it in there, and the people finally figure out that. You know, we're outside with it, and they're like, hey! And then we just, like, jump in the car and speed away. And we're like, oh, my God. You know, we got the tiger, finally. We got this tiger. And, uh, you know, so we bring it in. Mom's not home when we get there. So we bring it upstairs, and uh, which was hell, right? Because if you're just lugging a 300-pound thing when you're a kid up, up a flight of stairs, not fun. But we put it in Garrett's room, and we're like, we did it, guys. We got the tiger. Um, we named it Shere Khan um, after the Jungle Book movie um, with the tiger in there. We're like, hell yeah, we got Shere Khan in, in Garrett's room now. This is awesome. And we kind of forget about it. You know, we just kind of go about it's the summer. We're just hanging out with friends and stuff, and we're going about our business. And one day, it's just like me and Garrett sitting at their house, and we're sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, I just hear, I just hear Carmen just like, boys? We're like, yep, she found the tiger. She's like, she's like, why is there a tiger in your room? They're like, um, yeah, see, we, we bought it. It's like, you guys stole this. We're like, yeah, we stole it. She's like, all right, what's the rule? One rule of the house. And this is always funny. What's the rule? All right. Don't bring attention to the house. All right. Okay. So what is this doing? It's bringing attention to the house. All right. Well, what are we going to do here? You know, you got you got X amount of time to get this get this freaking tiger out of our house. We're like, okay, okay, well, just give us a couple days. You know, it's really heavy. We got to figure out how we're gonna get it back. So that day, me and Garrett are walking around the lake, and all of a sudden, we see on one of the one of the trees, we see a a, a missing wanted sign, and it's a picture of the tiger statue, and it says reward for five hundred dollars. 
forever for whoever returns the stolen tiger statue. And we're just like looking at each other like, man, I'm like, we should just return this and just say we found it and get the $500. And, you know, again, this kind of sounds like a little messed up as an adult to be telling this story. But when you're a kid, this was pretty funny. And um, so like, okay. So we're like, okay. You know, we were wearing hoodies before, so they probably didn't know it was us. And, you know, we'll just use a different car when we bring bring the Tiger back. And so we got it all planned out. My buddy Dakota's driving us. And we're in the car. And I, like, can't stop laughing because I'm definitely one of those people when I was younger. If, you know, if I was really nervous or I thought, you know, shit was about to hit the fan. And I'd be, like, one of those guys, like, in class where they're like, if you laugh one more time, you're getting kicked out. I'd probably laugh more. Okay. Um, so we're like almost to the house and I'm like laughing hysterically. I'm like, dude, I don't think I can go up and, 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 and talk to these people. And I'm definitely in the group, the guy in the group, that's like the talker. Right. So they're kind of like waiting on me to go in and, you know, go up and be like, Hey, you know, we found this on the trail and blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do it. So my buddy Dakota goes up there and he's just like, Hey, we found this on the trail. Um, we just saw your sign. So we just wanted to return it. You know, so we have it in the car and we hate to, you know, ask this, but like we saw that there was a reward for it and they're like, okay, yeah, like, you know, it was, uh, but do you know who it was? And we're like, no, we don't know who did it. And they're like, well, you know, you can see in the fine print of the, you know, the ad that it says or the missing report that it's, if, you know, you get $500 if it leads to the conviction of the person who did it. And we're like, well, that person would be us. So, you know, we didn't read that part. But anyways, they're like, well, you know, thank you for bringing it back. You know, I'm in the car just laughing and trying not to be seen laughing. And they're like, but, you know, for your effort, we're just going to give you guys 60 bucks. We really appreciate you guys bringing it back. And, and I'm walking the statue up with all the rest of the guys trying not to laugh and get it up there. And then we get in the car and we're just like, hey, man, we just got paid to steal a tiger. And then I just remember after that. We just went to Applebee's and got wings with the money from the stolen tiger. So, yeah, so that was the that was the Sher Khan story, and uh, you know, I definitely am not advocating people steal things from people. I was a degenerate shithead kid, but I got to tell you, when I did it, it was hilarious. So, so thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm gonna cut it off there because we're just a at uh just about an hour but thanks for listening um and i hope you guys have a great rest of your day and thanks for tuning in